This is the eleventh and final part of volume one of the new and complete Newgate calendar, read by Roy Schreiber. This LibriVox recording is in the public domain. The Life and Transactions of Joseph Blake, otherwise Blueskin, who is hanged for burglary. This offender, who is a native of London, was sent to school by his parents for the space of six years but he made little progress in learning, having a very early propensity to acts of dishonesty. While at school he made an acquaintance with William Blewett, who afterwards entered with, into Jonathan Wilde's gang, and became one of the most notorious villains of the age. No sooner had Blake left school than he commenced pickpocket, and had been in all the prisons for felons before he was fifteen years of age. From this practice he turned street robber, and joined Oakey, Levy, and many other villains who acted under the directions of Jonathan Wilde. For some of the robberies they committed they were taken into custody, and Blake was admitted an evidence against his companions who were convicted. In consequence of these convictions Blake claimed his liberty, and part of the reward allowed by government but he was informed by the court that he had no right to either, because he was not a voluntary evidence, since, so far from having surrendered, he made an obstinate resistance, and was much wounded before he was taken, and therefore he must find security for his good behaviour, or be transported. Not being able to give the requisite security, he was lodged in the Wood Street Compter, where he remained a considerable time, during which Jonathan Wilde allowed him three shillings and sixpence a week. At length he prevailed on two gardeners to be his bail. But the court at the Old Bailey hesitating to take their security, they went before Sir John Fryer, who took their recognizance for Blake's good behaviour for seven years. A gentleman, who happened to be present at Sir John's, asked how long it might be before Blake would appear again at the Old Bailey, to which another gentleman answered, Three sessions. And he happened to be perfectly right in his conjecture. Blake had no sooner obtained his liberty than he was concerned in several robberies with Jack Shepherd, and particularly that for which the two brothers Brightwell were tried. The footpad robberies and burglaries they committed were very numerous, but the fact for which Blake suffered was the robbery of Mr. Kneebone, as will appear by the following account. At the Old Bailey Sessions in October 1724, Joseph Blake, otherwise Blueskin, was indicted for breaking and entering the dwelling-house of William Kneebone, and stealing a hundred and eight yards of woollen cloth valued at thirty-six pounds and other goods. The prosecutor, having sworn that the bars of his cellar window were cut, and that the cellar door, which had been bolted and padlocked, was broken open, he acquainted Jonathan Wilde with what had happened, who went to Blake's lodgings with two other persons, Blake, refusing to open the door, it was broke open by Quilt Arnold, one of Wilde's men. On this Blake drew a penknife, and swore he would kill the first man that entered, an answer to which Arnold said, Then I am the first man, and Mr. Wilde is not far behind. If you don't deliver your penknife immediately, I will chop off your arm. 
Thereupon the prisoner dropped the knife, and Wilde entering, he was taken into custody. As the parties were conveying Blake to Newgate, they came by the house of the prosecutor, on which Wilde said to the prisoner, There's the can. And the latter replied, Say no more of that, Mr. Wilde, for I know I am a dead man. But what I fear is that I shall afterwards be carried to the surgeon's hall and anatomized. To which Wilde replied, No, I'll take care to prevent that, for I'll give you a coffin. William Field, who was evidence on the trial, swore that the robbery was committed by Blake, Shepherd, and himself, and the jury brought in a verdict of guilty. As soon as the verdict was given, Blake addressed the court in the following terms. Quote, on Wednesday morning last, Jonathan Wilde said to Simon Jacobs, I believe you will not bring forty pounds this time. I wish Joe, meaning me, was in your case, but I'll do my endeavour to bring you off as a single felon. And then, turning to me, he said, I believe you must die. I'll send you a good book or two, and provide you a coffin, and you shall not be anatomized. Wilde was to have been an evidence against this malefactor, but going to visit him in the bail dock, previous to his trial, Blake suddenly drew a clasped penknife, with which he cut Jonathan's throat, which prevented his giving evidence. But as the knife was blunt, the wound, though dangerous, did not prove mortal, and we shall see that Jonathan was preserved for a different fate. While under sentence of death, Blake did not show a concern proportioned to his calamitous situation. When asked if he was advised to commit the violence on Wilde, he said no, but that a sudden thought entered his mind, or he would have provided a knife with which to have cut off his head at once. On the nearer approach of death he appeared still less concerned, and it was thought that his mind was chiefly bent on meditating means of escaping. But seeing no prospect of getting away, he took to drinking, which he continued even to the day of his death, for he was observed to be intoxicated even while he was under the gallows. He was executed at Tyburn on the 11th of November, 1723. Narrative of the life, trial, and execution of John Shepherd, who is hanged for burglary. The case of this malefactor having been more the subject of public conversation than that of almost any one who ever underwent the sentence of law, and his adventures being in themselves very remarkable, we shall be the more particular in our account of him. John Shepherd was born in Spitalfields in the year 1702. His father, who was a carpenter, bore the character of an honest man. Yet he had another son named Thomas, who, as well as Jack, turned out a thief. The father dying while the boys were very young, they were left to the care of the mother, who placed Jack at a school in Billingsgate Street, where he remained two years, and was then put apprentice to a cane-maker in Houndsditch. His master dying when he had been only a short time with him, he was placed with another person of the same trade, but here he was so ill-treated that he remained only a short time, 
when he was taken into the protection of Mr. Kneebone, a woollen draper in the Strand, who had some knowledge of his father. At length Mr. Kneebone put him apprentice to a carpenter in Witch Street. He behaved with decency in this place for about four years. When frequenting the Black Lion alehouse in Drury Lane, he became acquainted with some abandoned women, among whom the principal was Elizabeth Lyon, otherwise called Edgeworth Bess, from the town of Edgeworth where she was born. While he continued to work as a carpenter, he often committed robberies in the houses where he was employed, stealing tankards, spoons, and other articles, which he carried to Edgeworth Bess. But not being suspected of having committed these robberies, he at length resolved to commence housebreaker. Exclusive of Edgeworth Bess, he was acquainted with a woman named Maggot, who persuaded him to rob the house of Mr. Baines, a peace-broker in White Horse Yard, and Jack, having brought away a piece of fustian from thence, which he deposited in his trunk, went afterwards at midnight, and taking the bars out of the cellar window, entered, and stole goods and money to the amount of twenty-two pounds, which he carried to Maggot. As Shepherd did not go home that night, nor the following day, his master suspected that he had made bad connections, and searching his trunk found the piece of fustian that had been stolen. But Shepherd, hearing of this, broke open his master's house in the night, and carried off the fustian, lest it should be brought in evidence against him. Shepherd's master sending intelligence to Mr. Baines of what had happened, the latter looked over his goods, and missing such a piece of fustian as had been described to him, suspected that Shepherd must have been the robber, and determined to have him taken into custody. But Jack, hearing of the affair, went to him, and threatened a prosecution for scandal, alleging that he had received the piece of fustian from his mother, who bought it for him in Spitalfields. The mother, with a view to screen her son, declared that what he had asserted was true, though she could not point out the place where she had made the purchase. Though this story was not credited, Mr. Baines did not take any farther steps in the affair. Shepherd's master seemed willing to think well of him, and he continued some time longer in the family, but after associating himself with the worst of company, and frequently staying out the whole night, his master and he quarrelled, and the headstrong youth totally absconded in the last year of his apprenticeship, and became connected with a set of villains of Jonathan Wilde's gang. Jack now worked as a journeyman carpenter, with a view to easier commission of robbery, and being employed to assist in repairing the house of a gentleman in Mayfair, he took an opportunity of carrying off a sum of money, a quantity of plate, some gold rings, and four suits of clothes. Not long after this Edgeworth Bess was apprehended, and lodged in the round-house of the parish of St. Giles, where Shepherd went to visit her, and the beadle refusing to admit him. He knocked him down, broke open the door, and carried her off in triumph, an exploit which acquired him a high degree of credit with the women of abandoned character. In the month of August 1723, Thomas Shepherd, the brother of Jack, was indicted in the Old Bailey for two petty offences, and being convicted was burnt in the hand. 
Soon after his discharge, he prevailed on Jack to lend him forty shillings, and to take him as a partner in his robberies. The first fact they committed, in concert, was the robbing of a public-house in Southwark, whence they carried off some money and wearing apparel. But Jack permitted his brother to reap the whole advantage of this booty. Not long after this, the brothers, in conjunction with Edgeworth, Bess, broke open the shop of Mrs. Cook, a linen draper in Clare Market, and carried off goods to the value of fifty-five pounds, and in less than a fortnight afterwards stole some articles from the house of Mr. Phillips in Drury Lane. Tom Shepherd, going to sell some of the goods stolen at Mrs. Cook's, was apprehended and committed to Newgate, when, in hope of being admitted in evidence, he impeached his brother and Edgeworth Bess, but they were sought for in vain. At length, James Sykes, otherwise called Helen Fury, one of Shepherd's companions, meeting with him in St. Giles, enticed him into a public house in hope of receiving a reward for apprehending him, and, while they were drinking, Sykes sent for a constable who took Jack into custody and carried him before a magistrate, who later, after a short examination, sent him to St. Giles' roundhouse but he broke through the roof of that place, and made his escape in the night. Within a short time after this, a shepherd and an associate named Benson were crossing Lester Fields. The latter endeavoured to pick a gentleman's pocket of his watch, but failing in the attempt, the gentleman called out, A pickpocket! on which shepherd was taken, and lodged in St. Anne's Roundhouse, where he was visited by Edgeworth Bess, who was detained on suspicion of being one of his accomplices. On the following day they were carried before a magistrate, and some persons appearing who charged them with felonies, they were committed to new prison. As they passed for husband and wife, they were permitted to lodge together in a room known by the name of Newgate Ward. Shepherd, being visited by several of his acquaintances, some of whom furnished him with implements to make his escape, and early in the morning, a few days after his commitment, he filed off his fetters, and having made a hole in the wall, he took an iron bar and a wooden one out of the window. But as the height from which he was to descend was twenty-five feet, he tied a blanket and a sheet together, and making one of them fast to a bar in the window, Edgeworth Bess first descended, and Jack followed her. Having reached the yard, they still had a wall of twenty-two feet high to scale, but climbing up by the locks and bolts of the great gate, they got quite out of the prison, and effected a perfect escape. Shepherd's fame was greatly celebrated among the lower orders of people by this exploit, and the thieves of St. Giles courted his company. Among the rest was one Charles Grace, a cooper, begged that he would take him as an associate in his robberies, alleging as a reason for this request, that his girl he kept was so extravagant that he could not support her on the profits of his own thefts. Shepherd did not hesitate to make this new connection, but at the same time said that he did not admit of a partnership with a view to any advantage to himself, but that Grace might reap the profits of their depredations. Shepherd and Grace, making an acquaintance with Anthony Lamb, an apprentice 
to a mathematical instrument maker near St. Clement's Church, it was agreed to rob a gentleman who lodged with Lamb's master, and at two o'clock in the morning Lamb let in the other villains who stole money and effects to a large amount. They left the door open, and Lamb went to bed to prevent suspicion, but notwithstanding this his master did suspect him, and, having taken him into custody, he confessed the whole affair before a magistrate, and being committed to Newgate, he was tried, convicted, and received sentence to be transported. On the same day, Thomas Shepherd, the brother of Jack, was indicted for breaking open the dwelling-house of Mary Cook, and stealing her goods, and being convicted, was sentenced to transportation. Jack Shepherd, not being in custody, he and Blueskin committed a number of daring robberies, and sometimes disposed of the stolen goods to William Field. Jack used to say that Field wanted courage to commit robbery, though he was as great a villain as ever existed. Shepherd seems to have thought that courage consisted in villainy, and, if this were the case, Field had an undoubted claim to the character of a man of courage. For, in October, 1721, he was tried on four indictments for felony and burglary, and he was an accomplice in a variety of robberies. He was likewise in evidence against one of his associates on another occasion. Shepherd and Blueskin hired a stable near the horse ferry Westminster, in which they deposited their stolen goods, till they could dispose of them to the best advantage. And in this place they put the woollen cloth which was stolen from Mr. Kneebone, for Shepherd was concerned in this robbery and at the sessions held at the Old Bailey in August 1724 he was indicted for several offences, and among the rest for breaking and entering the house of William Kneebone, and stealing a hundred and eight yards of woollen cloth and other articles, and being capitally convicted, received sentence of death. We must now go back to observe that Shepherd and Blueskin, having applied to Field to look at these goods, and procure a customer for them, he promised to do so, nor was he worse than his word, for in the night he broke open their warehouse and stole the ill-gotten property, and then gave information against them to Jonathan Wilde, in consequence of which they were apprehended. On Monday, the 30th of August, 1724, a warrant was sent to Newgate, for the execution of Shepherd, with other convicts under sentence of death. It is proper to observe that in the old jail of Newgate there was, within the lodge, a hatch with large iron spikes, which hatch opened into a dark passage, whence there were a few steps into the condemned hold. The prisoners being permitted to come down to the hatch to speak with their friends, Shepherd, having been supplied with instruments, took an opportunity of cutting one of the spikes in such a manner that it might be easily broken off. On the evening of the above-mentioned 30th of August, two women of Shepherd's acquaintance going to visit him, he broke off the spike, and thrusting his head and shoulders through the space, the women pulled him down, 
and he effected his escape notwithstanding some of the keepers were at that time drinking at the other end of the lodge on the day after his escape he went to a public-house in spitalfields whence he sent for an old acquaintance one page a butcher in clare market and advised with him how to render his escape effectual for his future preservation after deliberating on the matter they agreed to go to warrenden in northamptonshire where page had some relations and they had no sooner resolved than they made the journey the page's relations treating him with indifference they returned to london after being absent only about a week on the night after their return as they were walking up fleet street together they saw a watchmaker's shop open and only a boy attending having passed the shop they turned back and shepherd driving his hand through the window stole three watches with which they made their escape some of shepherd's old acquaintance informing him that strict search was making after him he and page retired to finchley in hope of laying there concealed till the diligence of the jail-keepers should relax but the keepers of newgate having intelligence of their retreat took shepherd into custody and conveyed him to his old lodgings such steps were now taken as it was thought would be effectual to prevent his future escape he was put into a strong room called the castle handcuffed loaded with a heavy pair of irons and chained to a staple fixed in the floor the curiosity of the public having been greatly excited by his former escape he was visited by great numbers of people of all ranks and scarce any one left him without making him a present in money though he would have more gladly received a file a hammer or a chisel but the utmost care was taken that none of his visitors should furnish him with such implements notwithstanding this disadvantageous situation shepherd was continually employing his thoughts on the means of another escape on the fourteenth of october the sessions began at the old bailey and the keepers being much engaged in attending the court he thought they would have little time to visit him and therefore the present juncture would be the most favourable to carry out his plan into execution about two o'clock in the afternoon of the following day one of the keepers carried him his dinner and having carefully examined his irons and finding them fast he left him for the day some days before this jack had found a small nail in the room with which he could at pleasure unlock the padlock that went from the chain to the staple in the floor and in his own account of the transaction he says that he was frequently about the room and had several times slept on the barracks when the keepers imagined he had not been out of the chair the keeper had not left him more than an hour when he began his operations he first took off his handcuffs and then opened the padlock that fastened the chain to the staple he next by mere strength twisted asunder a small link of the chain between his legs and then drawing up his fetters as high as he could he made them fast with his garters he then attempted to get up the chimney but had not advanced far before he was stopped by an iron bar that went across it on which he descended and with a piece of broken chain picked out the mortar and moving a small stone or two 
above six feet from the floor he got out the iron bar which was three feet long and an inch square and proved very serviceable to him in his future proceedings he in a short time made such a breach as to enable him to get into the red room over the castle and here he found a large nail which he made use of in his farther operations it was seven years since the door of this red room had been opened but shepherd wrenched off the lock in less than seven minutes and got into the passage leading to the chapel in this place he found a door which was bolted on the opposite side but making a hole through the wall he pushed the bolt back and opened the door arriving at the door of the chapel he broke off one of the iron spikes which keeping for his farther use he got into the entry between the chapel and the lower leads the door of this entry was remarkably strong and fastened with a large lock and night now coming on shepherd was obliged to work in the dark notwithstanding this disadvantage he in a half hour forced open the box of the lock and opened the door but this led to another room still more difficult for it was barred and bolted as well as locked however he wrenched the fillet from the main post of the door and the box and staples came off with it it was now eight o'clock and shepherd found no farther obstruction to his proceedings for he had only one other door to open which being bolted on the inside was opened without difficulty and he got over the wall to the upper leads his next consideration was how he should descend with the greatest safety accordingly he found that the most convenient place for him to alight on would be the turner's house adjoining to newgate but as it would have been very dangerous to have jumped to such a depth he went back for the blanket with which he used to cover himself when he slept in the castle and endeavoured to fasten his stockings to the blanket to ease his descent but not being able to do so he was compelled to use the blanket alone wherefore he made it fast to the wall of newgate with the spike he took out of the chapel and sliding down dropped on the turner's leads just as the clock was striking nine it happened that the door of the garret next to the turner's leads was open on which he stole softly down two pair of stairs and heard some company talking in a room his irons clinking a woman cried what noise is that and a man answered perhaps a dog or a cat shepherd who was exceedingly fatigued returned to the garret and lay down for more than two hours after which he crept down once more as far as the room where the company were when he heard a gentleman taking his leave of the family and saw the maid light him down the stairs as soon as the maid returned he resolved to venture at all hazards but in stealing down the stairs he stumbled against a chamber door but instantly recovering himself he got into the street by this time it was after twelve o'clock and passing by the watch-house of st sepulchre he bid the watchman good morrow and going up holborn he turned down gray's inn lane and about two in the morning got into the fields near tottenham court road where he took shelter in a place that had been a cow-house and slept soundly about three hours his fetters still being on his legs were greatly bruised and swelled and he dreaded the approach of daylight lest he should be discovered 
he had now above forty shillings in his possession, but was afraid to send to any person for assistance. At seven in the morning it began to rain hard, and continued to do so all day, so that no person appeared in the fields, and during this melancholy day he would, to use his own expression, have given his right hand for a hammer, a chisel, and a punch. Night coming on, and being pressed by hunger, he ventured to a little chandler's shop in Tottenham Court Road, where he got a supply of bread, cheese, small beer, and some other necessaries, hiding his irons with a long great coat. He asked the woman of the house for a hammer, but she had no such utensil, on which he retired to the cow-house, where he slept that night, and remained all the next day. At night he went again to the chandler's shop, supplied himself with provisions, and returned to his hiding-place. At six the next morning, which was Sunday, he began to beat the basils of his fetters with a stone, in order to bring them to an oval form, to slip his heels through. In the afternoon the master of the cow-house, coming thither, and seeing his iron, said, For God's sakes, what are you? Shepherd said he was an unfortunate young fellow, who, having had a bastard child sworn to him, and not being able to give security to the parish for its support, he had been sent to Bridewell, from whence he had made his escape. The man said, if that was all, it did not much signify, but he did not care how soon he was gone, for he did not like his looks. Soon after he was gone, Shepherd saw a journeyman shoemaker, to whom he told the same story of the bastard child, and offered him twenty shillings if he would procure a smith's hammer and a punch. The poor man, tempted by the reward, procured them accordingly, and assisted him in getting rid of his irons, which work was completed by five o'clock in the evening. When night came on, our adventurer tied a handkerchief round his head, tore his woollen cap in several places, and likewise tore his coat and stockings, so as to have the appearance of a beggar. And in this condition he went to a cellar near Charing Cross, where he supped on roasted veal, and listened to the conversation of the company, all of whom were talking about the escape of Shepherd. On the Monday he sheltered himself at a public house of little trade in Rupert Street, and conversing with the landlady about Shepherd, he told her that it was impossible for him to get out of the kingdom, and the keepers would certainly have him again in a few days, on which the woman wished that a curse might fall on those who should betray him. Remaining in this place till evening, he went into the haymarket, where a crowd of people were surrounding two ballad singers, and listening to a song made on his adventures and escape. The next day he hired a garret in Newport Market, and soon afterwards, dressing himself like a porter, he went to Blackfriars, to the house of Mr. Appleby, printer of dying speeches, and delivered a letter, in which he ridiculed the printer, the ordinary of Newgate, and enclosed the letter for one of the keepers of Newgate. Some nights after this he broke open the shop of Mr. Rawlins, a pawnbroker in Drury Lane, where he stole a sword, a suit of wearing apparel, some snuff-boxes, rings, watches, and other effects to a considerable amount. 
determining to make the appearance of a gentleman among his old acquaintance in Drury Lane and Clare Market, he dressed himself in a suit of black and a tie wig, wore a ruffled shirt, a silver hilted sword, a diamond ring, and a gold watch, though he knew that diligent search was being made after him at that very time. On the 31st of October he dined with two women in a public house in Newgate Street, and about four in the afternoon they all passed under Newgate in a hackney coach, having first drawn up the blinds. Going in the evening to a public house in Maypole Alley, Clare Market, Shepherd sent for his mother, and treated her with brandy, when the poor woman dropped on her knees, and begged he would immediately quit the kingdom, which he promised to do, but had no intention of keeping his word. Being now grown valiant through an excess of liquor, he wandered from alehouses to gin-shops in the neighbourhood, till near twelve o'clock at night, when he was apprehended in consequence of the information of an alehouse boy who knew him. When he was taken into custody he was quite senseless from the quantity and variety of liquors he had drank, and was conveyed to Newgate in a coach, without being capable of making the least resistance, though he had two pistols then in his possession. His fame was now so much increased by his exploits that he was visited by a great number of people, some of them of the highest quality. He endeavoured to divert them with a recital of the particulars of his many robberies in which he had been concerned. And when any nobleman came to see him, he never failed to beg that they would intercede with the king for a pardon, to which he thought that his singular dexterity gave him some pretensions. Having been already convicted, he was carried to the bar of the court of King's Bench on the 10th of November, and the record of his conviction being read, and an affidavit being made that he was the same John Shepherd mentioned in the record, sentence of death was passed on him by Mr. Justice Powis, and a rule of court was made for his execution on the Monday following. He regularly attended the prayers in the chapel, but though he behaved with decency there, he affected mirth before he went thither, and endeavoured to prevent any degree of seriousness among the prisoners on his return. Even when the day of execution arrived, Shepherd did not appear to have given over all expectations of eluding justice, for having been furnished with a penknife, he put it in his pocket, with a view, when the melancholy procession came opposite little turnstile, to have cut the cord that bound his arms, and throwing himself out of the cart, among the crowd, to have run through the narrow passage where the sheriff's officers could not follow on horseback, and he had no doubt but that he should make his escape by the assistance of the mob. It is not impossible but that this scheme might have succeeded, but before Shepherd left the press-yard, one Watson, an officer, searching his pockets, found the knife, and was cut with it so as to occasion a great effusion of blood. Shepherd had yet a farther view to his preservation, even after execution, for he desired his acquaintance to put him into a warm bed as soon as she, he should be cut down, and try to open a vein, which he had been told would restore him to life. He behaved with great decency at the place of execution, and confessed the having committed two robberies for which he had been tried and acquitted. 
he was executed at Tyburn on the 16th of November, 1724, in the 23rd year of age. He died with difficulty, and was much pitied by the surrounding multitude. When he was cut down, his body was delivered to his friends, who carried him to a public house in Long Acre, whence he was removed in the evening, and buried in the churchyard of St. Martin's in the fields. It is astonishing to think how much Shepherd and his adventures engaged the attention of the public. For a considerable time there was scarcely a subject of conversation but himself. There were several different histories of his life, and a variety of prints were worked off, representing his escapes from the condemned hold, and from the castle in Newgate, and there were likewise several other prints of his person the best of which was a mezzotinto done from an original painting of sir james thornhill which gave rise to the following ingenious lines thornhill tis thine to gild the fame though obscure and raise the humble name to make the form elude the grave and shepherd from oblivion save though life in vain the wretch implores an exile on the farthest shores thy pencil brings a kind reprieve and bids the dying robber leave this piece to latest time shall stand and show the wonders of thy hand thus former masters graced their name and gave egregious robbers fame appels alexander drew caesar is to aurelius due Cromwell in Lily's work doth shine, and Shepherd Thornhill lives in thine. This is the end of the eleventh and final part of the new and complete Newgate calendar. Selections read and chosen by Roy Schreiber.